and uh, the guy, you know, I asked him, I said, have you, I said, have you ever been in love? And the cop was like, man, you need to be quiet. You need to be quiet. I said, well, love will make you do crazy things. And when I said that, he was like, all right, man, you can go ahead and stand up. Put your hands behind your back. <laughs> I was like, oh. So I did, I did 16 hours, which, you know, which was like, all right, whatever. And then when I got ready to see the judge, the, they, didn't even, they didn't even want to take it. They were like, oh, man, no, don't worry about it. You're getting out. And so that was at like 3 o'clock in the morning. And I had to sit in this, oh, no. I think I went, got in there about 10, 10 that night and got out maybe about one or two o'clock that afternoon, that Saturday afternoon. Yeah, so they don't, they don't take those jokes as funny as <laughs> in your head. They were a lot funnier, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. But like, so, but yeah, I get that. But okay. Yeah, so. but, I, but I've had other, like, you know, my ex-wife used to always call the cops on me um, when I was in the army. And stuff like that last the last year like 2014 2015 but she was doing it more intentional she was trying to get me kicked out of the army army like, i was gonna say is that why the army mandated that you went to rehab yeah yeah because i well, at that time i was a victim of domestic violence she had she had cut me uh cut my leg with the mason jar and so she she ended up getting arrested and because that she got arrested and it was considered an alcohol related uh, incident, they uh, they sent me to rehab. I mean, it probably was a blessing in disguise because it sounds like you guys are Johnny Depp and Amber Heard over there. Like you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the show, Kenneth. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, J.D. I really do appreciate you having me on as a guest. Oh, anytime, bud. So let's just start with your sober date. November 15th of 2016. Okay, so you're coming up on six years? Yes, yes, indeed. Looking How's that feel? It feels really good. Um, it's it's pretty close to as long as my Army career, which was six years and, <laughs> and two months. So it definitely is, uh, is a good feeling, and I've learned a lot about myself in those six years that I didn't know when I was still heavy into drinking. Okay. So your like drug of choice was alcohol. Yes, that was, that was my poison for, uh, over 12 years. When did you start drinking? Um, very first time I had a drink, I probably was about five, about five years old in uh, San Diego, California. Uh, my dad uh, was in the Navy, so he would always, um, you know, on the weekends he would have me you know, even like junior, hey, run to the kitchen, go get me a beer. And I, at that time, loved the sound of, you know, opening up a, a beer can. And and so that's what I would do is like, you know, it was a little distance from the kitchen to the den. I would just take like a little sip from the can and, you know, hand it to him. And of now, course he didn't, you know. Now, is that, is that, um, is that a triggering sound for you today? I know a lot of alcoholics that they say the sound of a can cracking open kind of triggers them. Has it, has that ever been a trigger for you? you think? I probably say, uh, it was more difficult early, early in sobriety. Yeah. Because like, that's all I really drink was, uh, was like, primarily beer. Well, I drink liquid death. Okay. It's, okay. it's water in a can. Mm -hmm. Um, and it makes that cracking sound when I open it. So that's that's why with it, because to me it's not triggering, but to me it's more like nostalgic. 
I think of my drinking years as nostalgic now because I'm so far away from it that I I don't I'm, I don't see a drink on my horizon. I've been through all I've been through in sobriety to show me I can get through anything sober, right? So mm-hmm. I feel like I can welcome some things that used to trigger me today to be like, oh, that's that's cool. That was a different JD, but still, that's cool. You know, whenever mm-hmm. I hear like a trigger, because I get triggered by a lot of different things. Right. Yeah, I think the I, important I think it, things are called out. Yeah, it, I, I believe it was more difficult, more or less, at the beginning because I I, I pretty much quit like cold. Well, I guess you could say cold turkey because I, I went straight from you know a night of partying into uh, rehab. So it was, and then after that, I never looked back. This at least this last time. So no, when you I went think, to rehab, did you go to rehab on your own or was somebody making you? Um, it was a uh, stipulation of me coming back to Minnesota. Um, I was, uh, I was living in Phoenix and was actually in a homeless shelter. So I was at that time I was sober, uh, from September, September 1st of 2016 to maybe mid October of uh, 2016 and was in a homeless shelter and they, I, you know, I got kicked out. Let's just say it like that. I got kicked out for taking a towel to go to the gym, needless to say. And so I, uh, I called my mom and was like, Hey, you know, can I come back to, to Minnesota? And she said that, you know, if you come back, I, you know, you, you gotta go to rehab. And so I was like, all right. And so I had to wait a little while. So of course I drank, I, I, I probably drank for roughly about two and a half weeks before I actually got accepted into the rehab facility. Yeah. Cause pe- for people that don't know that I've never been to rehab to get into a rehab quick is like lucky. Mm-hmm. Like I know how lucky I am. I got in rehab within four days of me calling out. Like me mm-hmm. calling them was, was on a Saturday, and I was checking in by Wednesday or Thursday. Mm-hmm. I got really lucky because as I found out quick, because you said Southern California, I I got sober in L.A. Okay. And I found out real quick that not everybody has beds open right away. Like people are mm-hmm. sometimes homeless for, like you said, like you, you know, mm-hmm. where you're just and you're a homeless vet. Of all things, right? Because mm-hmm. you said you yes. spent six years in the army. Yes, so, I, I mean, did you drink more in the army, or did that kind of keep you on a straight and narrow? <laughs> Let Let's be clear, ladies and gentlemen. Um, if If you guys haven't heard them heard this statement on other podcasts, you might want to turn this up very loud. Um, alcohol is welcomed in the, the United States military. Um, I saw that when my, you know, growing up and then, you know, my dad, like I said, was retired Navy and I experienced it in six years that I was in the army. Um, it's from the, the, the top of the chain of command all the way down to the bottom. There's somebody that's facing some kind of problem as far as with uh, alcohol addiction or some type of drug addiction, pain pills or actual street, street illicit drugs. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to think that pot is so against the military but yet people that smoke are way like you know what i mean like i i think it's more dangerous to have a bunch of people drinking with guns in their in their you know how to use a gun Mm -hmm. as a bunch of potheads that know how to use a gun right you know so it's funny how that is man yeah it's that's a that's a good statement i i've never i've never really looked at it like that but yeah i mean yeah it 
Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. Because it, like I said, it, a lot of times, even with, you know, the times that we did go to the range, they didn't know whether or not people were intoxicated prior, yeah. you know, prior to going out there. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that I was hung over, you know, because, you know and, what I mean? Like, and no one's, and, and, and let's be honest, people that have a gun are way more likely if they drink to shoot it. I see in the paper all the time, oh, a guy got drunk and went out in his backyard and just started shooting aimlessly because he was upset about a foot baseball game, okay. you know, and just started shooting up in his backyard. I mean, it was his own backyard. He wasn't shooting at anybody. He was shooting at targets. But, like, he was all drunk with a gun. You don't ever hear, guy smokes a fat blunt and came in here and started shooting. You don't ever hear that statement, let's be honest. So it, it's always been, you know, funny to me the irony that people with guns can be in the military and drink, which drink causes mania, drink causes that kind of fear and anger, as opposed to something that's so easy like pot. It, it just, it's so funny to me by now, man. So, because yeah, I, I remember, not to cut you off, I remember oh, yeah. uh, when, when I was in uh, El Paso, Texas at Fort Bliss, and like I said, I lived on base, and the, the guy, he lived like behind the the townhouse or whatever that i was staying in and so of course you know he when when we get intoxicated or have barbecues people kind of just go from you know house to house to just kind of you know not everybody but some and then i befriended him and this guy had an arsenal <laughs> he had an arsenal in his garage and technically he wasn't even supposed to have that that's You're not what I'm even saying yeah yeah you weren't even supposed to have like if you like if you have a, a weapon, you're supposed to uh, on base. You're supposed to check it in. You're not even supposed to have them in your residence. Like it's it's insane. So I don't know. Like I like the guy opened the garage, and it was like literally, like it, as if we were in our like in our like our um, in our bay cleaning yeah. weapons. Like that's just how he had them just spread out in his garage. I was like, oh, I don't want to be caught in this garage. Yeah. I was like, no. Not even when he was intoxicated. I was like, I didn't feel comfortable. Like, you probably, we all watched cops back in the day. I always say, I used to have this joke when I used to do stand-up that, like, weed is always the innocent bystander. Mm -hmm. You know, there was never a phone call on cops to start out with, my husband just smoked and now he's hitting me. It's, mm -hmm. my husband's been drinking and then he hit me. Or, my husband's been drinking and doing meth. Oh, yeah, there's weed here. Like, mm -hmm. weed is always happens to be there, but always just friends with the wrong people. Like, it, it, weed just goes with any drug, so it, it always just happens that weed is there, that it got such a negative connotation to it, as opposed to what really drives people to go be angry and upset and to hit and to swing and to shoot is alcohol. Mm -hmm. The most welcome drug in all the country. Yeah, and, and, and the crazy part about it is is that a lot of, uh, a lot of the guys that were in Vietnam and 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 those wars previous, they were using not only marijuana but they methamphetamines. Were using yeah, stay awake and different things. So it's like you know, go figure. You know, some forty plus years ago, you know, people were able to use it with no problem. Yeah, especially you know, over in Vietnam, they got a lot of people were like getting hooked on like um, heroin during mm -hmm. Vietnam because that's when they were finding the poppy fields and all that shit. That's a whole different kind of operation dumbo that whole entire thing with the secret service and it's crazy what was going on during vietnam 
Um, all right, so your dad was in the Navy. Were you a Navy kid, like, moving all around the country? Because then you mentioned Minnesota. Were you moved all around with your dad, or is that something you moved, you experienced? Well, um, I was I was born in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. And so that first, like, with I think we only lived in Jacksonville roughly about, uh, I, from from what my, you know, the story is told to me, like, four months. So we traveled from there to Connecticut, and then I pretty much was raised in San Diego, California. And so, like a lot of, you know, you may hear the West Coast slang, you, you might see a Chargers jersey, San Diego Padres, shout out to them as well, being the playoffs. But um, That was a big yeah, win so, by them last night too, bud. Mm-hmm, it was like, what, yeah. seven, eight, nothing against them. That's, that's a big game. I don't see it happening again today if we're going to get off topic. I don't see the Mets and the Padres. I see the Mets winning today just because the Grom's on the mound. That's mm-hmm. a different story, though, for a different day. I like watching the Padres play baseball. They're a really fun mm-hmm. team to watch. And last night, oh, they proved nice. that. Yeah. So, and, you, and yeah, so I, but, but not to cut you off, but I had, we, we moved to, like, we moved around a couple, a couple cities within San Diego, San Diego County. But then I moved to Minnesota. Well, we moved to Minnesota, like, well after my dad had retired so we moved up here like right before I turned 21 and so but I've moved around a lot though from from 2000 until now um just like Minnesota's kind of like the home as far as me being an adult like off and on because I've you know was you know I've left here probably like about four or five different times and have always came back to start over like got I that magnet that got that magnet mm-hmm. bringing you back in every time mm-hmm. Jersey's yeah, yeah. my Minnesota. I get it. I kept, yeah. <laughs> I kept ended up back in Jersey, and now I, yeah. now I'm up in the mountains in PA. No, you know, about two and a half, three hours from where I grew up. But yeah, mm-hmm. I always end up back there. But all right, so you moved around a bunch, and you're 21. When does your drinking become a problem? When you're a teenager, or when you're younger, or when you're older? Um, it became a problem. I would say it uh, started to pick up uh, like about 2004. 2005 is like I was uh, getting ready. I, I left Minnesota, went to Phoenix. I, I used to work in radio. You know, was out. You know, out here on the air, young voice, hip hop. You know, I'm in the culture, and I go to Phoenix thinking like, okay, I'm doing it. You know, nice. You know, getting a good start here. Go to Phoenix. I had no luck, so it was like, all right, well now I got to go get a real job. You know, I, I have a bachelor's degree in radio broadcasting, but I can't even get a job. And this is like country stations, Spanish stations, sports stations. I could not get a job anywhere. So I started, um, you know, working for like anybody else, a regular nine to five. And so I started hanging out with my brothers and his friends. And that's where it was like, you know, these guys are drinking like malt liquor. I was a guy who was drinking Bud Lights and MGDs and the the lightweight beer, you know, now yeah. you probably that would be on the along the lines of like a a, a, a beer with uh, sixty calories or something, you know, comparison type. And this podcast is also sponsored by BetterHelp. If you are looking for therapy and not able to get something right away locally, you can do that with them within forty eight hours. You can find a therapist to get on telehealth with you. I mean, it's I haven't heard anything but great things. From people that have already done it, that watch my show or listen to my show, if you're looking to get 10% off your first month, you can go to betterhelp.com backslash MJ's PNPMCA. That is betterhelp.com slash 
MJ's P and P M C A. So I, I started to kind of sink into a, a depression because I, I wanted, you know, to not let my family down having this college degree working in my field, you know, radio was always a dream since a kid. And so to now have to go get a quote unquote real job, it was to me, was kind of an embarrassing thing. And so whenever, you know, my brothers and his friends, they would, you know, work a nine to five. And then when they got off work, I would meet up with them because I wasn't working. I was just spending all day looking for jobs. So then that's when it started to pick up because, you know, it was drinking, we were smoking and, I wasn't used to that because I was constantly working when I was in Minnesota. I worked in radio. I was teaching. At one point, I was working in the prison. So it was like I, my mom hardly ever saw me. You know, I, we lived together, whatever, my first couple years after college. And it was like she would see me a couple of days out the week because it was like I would leave at six in the morning and wouldn't come home until like three and got to turn around and do it again at five. You know, so it was the life I lived. So it was definitely the change of environment, not having work. And that's when it started to pick up. And I'm hanging out with guys that's 10 years older than me and hearing their problems, what they're having at home. And then I'm like, man, I'm never going to have these, you know, these bad relationships with women. And then sure enough, I, I was basically, you know, leading myself into those same situations, especially when drinking. Okay. So when did, when did you join the military? How old were you? I was 29 going on 30. I literally, I went in June, uh, June of 09, and then I turned uh, 30, like about uh, about a month and a half after uh, when I was in basic training. So that was that one of your moves then? Is that one of you consider one of your moves from Minnesota was I'm the radio isn't working, so now I'm going to try the military like my dad? Well, um, I had, I was in Phoenix uh, from 05 to 08. And in 08, I, I got into some trouble. And so what I what ended up happening was uh, I spent a night in jail. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of it. In uh, 2008, September. Um, and I was like, I, I had to call my mom. I was like, you know, what am I going to do? She was like, come back to Minnesota. So I spent uh, roughly uh, about a year. Well, I, I went to rehab. Uh, that was the first time in uh, December of, of 2008. But I, uh, once I got out that uh, treatment facility, January of uh, 09, uh, the guy asked me, he said, what are you going to do with your life? I said, I'm going to the military. But I had already told myself that if I ever uh, get to a point where I don't have nowhere to live, no, no source of income, then I would join the military. And so I knew that it was always there. So I ended up uh, joining. That, and, um, that's, I was wondering, because the average age joining has got to be what, like, 20, 21 years old is probably the average age, like in a stat that I just made up. <laughs> well, well different, yeah, anywhere between between 17, fresh out of high school, and probably about 21, in, in anywhere in between that age gap, yes. Okay. So I, was, I was considered the old guy, you know, because it was only in in my, uh, in the in our company, it was roughly, as far as the guys, it might have been maybe uh three other guys that were over the age of 30 that was that was in our uh company we had it was four it was four companies within uh our one unit and it was only like maybe i would say about three or four other guys that were over 30 because you know the age limit was 30 i think at that time it was 36 and so it was between yeah i'd probably say about three or four 
But it, it was a challenge at first. It was yeah. a challenge to be the older guy, but you know, I was running faster than a lot of those youngsters. Now, I was going to say, did that kind of drive you in there to be known as one of like the older guys? Like did that like put you like in a drive to like prove something? Uh, yeah, yes and no. I was proving to myself that I can run, <laughs> run a far distance because, you know, I, I played out, you know, I played sports growing up and never, you know, never did I have to run, you know, four miles, you know, three times a week or something like that. So that was, that was something, you know, to get used to. Um, I, like I said, I was running from problems, you know, in, in 08, I, I basically lost everything. You know, I was virtually homeless, you know, sleeping from couch to couch to family member to family member's house and, until it was like, okay, now it's time for me to join the army. So, but like, yeah. I feel like it's important people to know that the fact that you were drinking the way you were, it was still like, it's still so, it was still almost like socially acceptable that you were drinking. And then if you relapse with drinking, they're like, oh, it's fine. It's just alcohol. Like people don't realize the severity because it's so legal that, you know, how bad it can be that you weren't doing other drugs and you still ended up homeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, the, it, well, the, cause I, I guess I found myself homeless twice in Phoenix, but the, the last time in 2016, I, like I said, I was married. So we, uh, my ex, my ex-wife, you know, and I, we were, we were renting uh, some property. And so we had split up maybe because uh, I was initially I had left her and I was going to go to treatment um, in Minnesota. And then she begged me to come back. And so I went back for the rest of the summer of 2016. And then by the time I came back, she left. me. And so I was just sitting in the house for that whole entire summer, just getting drunk until that lease was up. And so once that the lease in that house was up, I was like, I don't have nowhere to go you know, me and her are not getting back together. So it was like, okay, so I went to this homeless shelter and it, it was, uh, and I don't know if you're familiar with the jails in Phoenix, but it's like, they they have tent city where they literally house their inmates outside. The homeless shelter I was at was directly across the street from that tent city. So guys were on, literally that was a part of their stipulation, getting out of that jail and would go to that homeless shelter and be there for X amount of time a year. So it was a halfway house too? Is that what it, it was? kind of like, it was a combination of all of that. Uh, it was a supposedly homeless shelter, supposedly rehab. It was all, whatever you needed it to be in that moment. Put it, yeah, whatever you can get. It the more they for. can get state funding for, the more mm-hmm. they say they do, the more state funding they get and the more that yeah. they can, that makes a yeah. lot of sense to me. So, um, what were you a big drinker of? Was it beer or were you at, yeah? More, more or less. Uh, my, my favorite rapper is, uh, E40. It shouts out to E40, but, um, he, he had, uh, a line of, um, beer, uh, malt liquor, and it was like stronger than like, you know, 211s or stuff like that. Hurricanes. And I think his for a 24 ounce was uh, the percentage was like 12 and 13 for a 24, 24 ounce can. It was a little more expensive. I had to drive a little bit further to get it, but I supported my favorite rapper. But yeah, I was more of a, a, a malt liquor and cheap 
you know, little little shooters of like E and the airplane bottles. Yeah, Christian Brothers. I was cheap stuff. I, I was never really uh, a person that drank the expensive stuff, except, except for when I worked on radio and we used to get the VIP treatment and who you, you name it, I probably drank it back then. So back then, like when you first go to rehab and you get out of rehab, what year was that your first in a rehab? That was uh, 2000, December 2008 to uh, January 2009. Okay, and when you get out of rehab, how quickly do you drink again? That same day. That same day. Literally, yeah. My you weren't was... ready. Yeah, you weren't ready. Yeah, no, I, I, I'll be totally honest with you. I wasn't. I was I was mad at my, my father. My father, um, well, my my one of my cousins, he's a he's a pastor up here in Minnesota. So he had it. They 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 set me up. And so they sent me to rehab and I was just like, you know, look, man, I I, I just I'm I'm in so I'm in the 30 days. And I knew that I was gonna still drink. And so my nephew he picked me up and actually the rehab facility is like maybe <laughs> like 15, 20 minutes from where I live now. But um I went ahead and uh, my nephew came and got me and I was like, man, let's, you know, take me to a liquor store. He's like, man, you just got out of rehab. I was like, I don't care. Take me to, you know, take me to a liquor store. But yeah, I, I wasn't ready. I, um, I, I did another, another stint in rehab in 2014. That was mandated by the army. And I, it took me about a day at <laughs> that time to a day or two. But this last time, this, this very last time in uh, uh, November 15th, I, I was like, I'm good. My, my mom, she she said it best. She said, what can I do to help my son? And she's like, because I don't want to bury you. And when she said that, I sobered up. I was like, I don't want to drink anymore. And so I just said, okay, I'll drink a couple more days until, until rehab starts, and then I'm not going to look back. And I haven't. That's awesome. I was going to ask what was different this time. But also, you didn't give yourself enough time in the previous ones to even try to have any kind of semblance of a program. All that you were worried about was, I'm doing my time. I'm just like jail. Like, I'm doing my time, and I'm going to get out of here, and I'm going to drink again. It is what it is. I'm doing what they want me to do. Fine, I'll take 30, 30 days in. 30 days in the rehab. Shit, I know people in L.A., that were rehab hopping. Literally, they would get out of rehab, they would shoot up and then go to another rehab saying, I'm an addict. They would drug mm. test him, fail for you know heroin, and then he'll be accepted into the rehab where he has a bed with three meals a day and not jail. Pe- yeah. pe- people do that. People live that kind of life. So like, I'm not surprised at all that you're like, I'm going to drink here right away. I'm just yeah. doing my time. Now, yeah. your 12 phases of sober, what is, that? what is that? Is that like a podcast that you have? Yeah, well... 12 Faces of Sober basically is uh, it's a, a little bit of everything, but I I authored a book, 12 Faces of Sober. Uh, the 12 uh, symbolizes the the age, the very first age. Well, when I got drunk the very first time, I was 12. Uh, the Faces, it came from um, the, you know, when I was in rehab this last time, it would be like, you know, on the piece of paper, which face do you feel today? Happy, joy, sad, angry. And so you know, kind of just check the box to say you're participating in the, in the, in the group. So I was like, okay, I'll just use it as that. So 12 faces of sober. So, um, but yeah, it's, um, the book it's been out, uh, since August of 2020. 
uh, became a bestseller February 22nd of this year. Uh, I also do. Thank you. I also do uh, the podcast. I've uh, so far recorded 60 episodes. Can't wait to have you on my show as well. I'm nice down point. whenever. Yep, I'm down okay. whenever. But I'll, and I'll have the link if you're listening or watching. The link to your um, your book will be right in the description right here. So I'll make sure it's linked up. So if you're listening or watching, you want to check out his book, just go into the description and you'll find the link right there, right underneath the you know description of the yeah. episode. Now I gotta ask because you mentioned you got a you did a night in jail. What happened that you like got got put in like jail for the night? <laughs> um, it was September September nineteenth of two thousand eight. I um, was working uh, for a company, nonprofit, I guess you could say. Uh, woke up that morning. I was engaged, and uh, the person I was with told me that she didn't want to be with me anymore. And so I was like, "Well, I had already dealt with, you know, an abortion with this woman, like eight months or yeah, about eight months prior." And I'm like, "But I didn't walk away from her when she decided to have an abortion. So you're gonna walk away from me because you said I don't have any money." But I was, I, I basically helped her raise her two kids from January until you know, September, you know, and if it wasn't for me, she wouldn't have been able to have anybody even watch her kids. And so uh, when she said that I had the, the night before I went grocery shopping and got some food. And so she sat there and was like, when she said it that morning, I never forget it. It was on a Friday. And so I went to work. I shouldn't have went to work that day, but I did. And I, um, you know, just dealt with a lot that day. And when I came back home, I was intoxicated. We got into not a physical altercation. It was just more or less of a, a verbal. And I punched the hole in the door, not going to lie. So they eventually charged me with criminal damage, but it was because I was cracking jokes because I, I told the cop, you know, he was like, man, you got to be quiet. You know, here it is, this big black guy in Scottsdale. I don't know how, how familiar you are with uh, Arizona, but I was in Scottsdale. And uh, the guy, you know, I asked him, I said, have you, I said, have you ever been in love? And the cop was like, man, you need to be quiet. You need to be quiet. I said, well, love will make you do crazy things. And when I said that, he was like, all right, man, you can go ahead and stand up. Put your hands behind your back. <laughs> I was like, oh, so I did, I did 16 hours, which, you know, which was like, all right, whatever. And then when I got ready to see the judge, they didn't, even, they didn't even want to take it. They were like, oh, man, no, nah, don't worry about it. You're getting out. And so that was at like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I had to sit in this. Oh, no, I think I went, got in there about 10, 10 that night and got out maybe about 1 or 2 o'clock that afternoon, that Saturday afternoon. Yeah, so was, they, don't, they don't take those jokes as funny as <laughs> in your head. They were a lot funnier, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. But, like, so, but, yeah, I get that. But, okay, yeah, so. But I, but I've had other, like, you know, my ex-wife used to always call the cops on me um, when I was in the Army and stuff like that last the last year, like 2014, 2015. But she was doing it more intentional. She was trying to get me kicked out of the Army. Army. Like, I was going to say, is that why the Army mandated that you went to rehab? Yeah. Yeah, because I, well, at that time, I was a victim of domestic violence. She had, she had cut me, uh, cut my leg with a mason jar. And so she she ended up getting arrested and because that she got arrested and it was considered an alcohol related uh, incident. 
they uh, they sent me to rehab. I mean, it probably was a blessing in disguise because it sounds like you guys are Johnny Depp and Amber Heard over there. Like you guys. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was crazy. Like it all the way up until like she called the cops. Like I was days before taking my uh, terminal leave. Like I was getting ready to sign out and like just go sit at home and the army was going to pay me for like 60 days of being on vacation. And she literally called the cops and they were like, man, my, my commander was like, Watson, now, you know, we can pull everything right now and we could, we could, you know, pretty much, cause they were, like I said, they were trying to kick me out in 2014. And so here it is 2015. Like I was supposed to, I think sign out August 6th. This was like August, August the, the 4th or something like that. Like she was really trying to, she was going, going for trying to take my freedom away. But like I said, somebody, somebody was definitely looking out for me. Yeah, I think so. So what, when you, when, what made you want to write a book then? Like, I mean, a lot of us want to tell our story, but what made you want to sit there and be like, I need to put my story pen to paper? The students at uh, St. Cloud State, when I was, uh, was working on my master's degree, because when I got, I went straight from rehab to, uh, got, I got the keys to my apartment the day that I got out. And then while I was in treatment, I had applied to grad school from my, uh, from my alma mater. And then, and so what ended up happening was they had, uh, my old advisor from when I graduated in 03, he still was a director of one of the, the student organizations. So he was like, all right, I just want you to just sit in the office. Any students coming here, just be a mentor to them, you know, answer questions, things of that nature. Cause I was, I was like 30, like 37. So in the eyes of some of these students, I was like their parents practically. And so, like, or like their teachers anyway. I mean, yeah. And so I, you know, they would ask me like, you know, why are you working on your master's degree? And I'm just like, I don't have anything else to do. I'm now sober, this and this and that. So I started to build relationships with some of the students. And so the students was like, man, you'd have been through a lot. Maybe you should go ahead and write a book about it. And so I was like, well, I'll think about it. And what I'll do is, you know, if that, if, if I do, I'll wait until after I finish my master's program because, you know, I'm writing papers like crazy. And then, so that's what I did. I graduated uh, December, December. Well, I completed it. Well, I, I walked May, May of 2018, but I completed the program December, 2018. And so I, decided to start writing it like june of uh 2019 and then so, it came out a year later i was gonna say you got it out there pretty quick then mm-hmm. but I, considered. yeah it was it, it's a short read and and like i said i when i realized like how i did it i talked about certain relationships and obviously not all but there there are certain chapters within that book that can be a book itself like my marriage that could be a, a whole book just just for being married in, in those six years. And so what I did was I kind of wanted to just touch on certain situations that that occurred and then just put it to paper and, and, and then just see where it goes. And like I said, if, if that day does come, then I could just focus on one of the chapters and that could, that itself could be a book. Could you even you could technically I mean, I'm just. Uh, throwing it out there maybe but that sounds like it could be interesting way to take somebody through your book on your podcast Mm -hmm. you know break down the chapters do you do that ever Mm -hmm. on you break down your book at all on your pot because that would be 
I think that would be cool if you ever needed to do solo episodes. If it were me to mm-hmm. had a book and you like you said, that's a chapter within a chapter. Mm-hmm. You could almost break down that chapter for an entire podcast. Mm. Yeah, you know what? I you just gave me a good idea. I like that. Now I I thought about it, but I just I don't know. Like I I be having a thousand and one thoughts run through my head, and then I just don't put them together. But I now that like I said, the book itself is is has been out for a while. Maybe I should because, like I said, I'm I'm still working on. I have a children's book that's already completed that I just need to go talk to some publishers about. I still working on my army book. Um, that one is, is going to be a, a, it's a while before I'm going to put that one out. And then I also, um, like I said, my radio career, cause I don't want to talk about like, it, it won't be my name. It'll be somebody else's, but, um, just the experiences that, that I dealt with. And even some of the, some of the icon, iconic rappers that I met back then that were just starting out are now like considered as legends in the game and they're that, constantly um <laughs> i grew up with, I, I grew up with 90s hip-hop i'm old enough well well no nah, this is in the early 2000s so like okay yeah i i mean i would I, say I grew, I grew up outside of philly so it wasn't like arizona right arizona there's barely it's all country and all that shit i grew up in philly mm-hmm. where we had like three different hip-hop stations mm-hmm. I wasn't on the I wasn't on the air in Phoenix. I was up here in Minnesota, but like, you know, I would say, you know, Kanye was definitely not the person that the he fashion is today. icon now. Yeah, <laughs> he's on a whole different level. He was just the quiet guy in the corner. Um, you know, I I will say that, you know, I T.I., I've been trying to get a hold of him to see if he remembers, but I was the first one. Well, I took him to the Mall of America like he had never been there before. And so this is before like a lot of a lot of the artists would come to Minnesota. They they didn't come with like no real big entourage. It was like it might be just the artists and maybe maybe one person with them. And sometimes some of those rappers came by themselves. You know, there's a funny story about Kanye that I heard recently that not everybody knows. You know how, like, um, on the song Gold Digger, that was that was his idea for Jamie Foxx to do that, that take my mind, like the beginning of the song. Mm-hmm. That, that that was straight up the idea of Kanye that was just like, no, I want his voice like on like he he is somebody who knows music. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go to him for any kind of mental health advice. Right. Um, right, right. But fashion vice and music, yeah, you talk to <laughs> talk to him. Um, I'll make sure that you got your children's book already out too. No, no, the, okay. the children's book is uh, is is pretty much still in production. That one is about um, playing uh, playing baseball in San Diego in in the eighties, and um, you know, because I I went to the the school that the elementary school I went to was like not. It may it might have been like maybe one exit from the old Jack Murphy uh, stadium. Jack Murphy, Tony Quinn's house. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, you know, and that that's who I learned how to play baseball from was Tony Quinn. Tony Quinn, man. Yeah, and I had I don't know it, I don't know if you remember the, them, but uh, let me see. Um, I think Terry Kennedy. Uh, I think he he was a catcher for the Giants back in the eighties. 
um, might, be just, might be just before my time. Okay. Goose I got Gossage. into, I got into, I know Goose Gossage. I know yeah, who that I, is. He was a yeah. feared pitcher. People, yeah, like he, he had that, he had that look where you would look down and he even says it. I saw in an interview, Goose Gossage, he goes, my whole entire point of the mustache was to intimidate the batters. Like that dude. Mm. Yep. Yeah, he, he, I was in, um, this was, I think, second and third grade. He, um, when he was with the Padres, he, uh, his son was in the class. And I'll mind you, I'm the only black kid in this class. And he remembered my name every time he came into that class because I was religiously watching the Padres. So it was like, if the Padres lost the game, I'd be like, oh, you guys lost last night. Oh, you guys won. Like, I was just that that guy as far as sports and so like I wrote about playing baseball being the only black kid out there being like a really really good athlete and because my dad was in the navy he never saw me actually play because he was always out to sea so that's kind of the concept of that I like that a lot man I like Mm -hmm. I grew up my the first year I got into baseball was 93 and the Phillies went to the world series that year and I went to like 20 some games I grew up 10 minutes from the stadium Okay. So I would go over there a lot, like, and I that was when I first got into baseball, and I fell in love with the entire game at like six, seven years okay. old. So yeah. <clears throat> there was yeah, the nineties. Yeah, I, I, um, it was just one of those things where I, my dad, he taught me how to play baseball. That was the first sport that I played before football, before I played basketball, and I really thought I was going to go somewhere in baseball. And See, that's I where just, we differ. I knew I wasn't going anywhere past. <laughs> my, nah, I knew I wasn't getting out of little league. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was. I, I was. I was tall enough because I. I was like the biggest kid out there. You know what I mean? So it was mm-hmm. like I was towering over the kids playing first baseman, and it was like you're the second yeah. children's author. I just realized I had a children's author on in season two. Mm-hmm. Where she where she writes books though based on how she grew up with an alcoholic mom, mm-hmm. and it's all like learning. I forget the name of the book, um, but it was all about how she discovered what AA was and what these meetings were mm-hmm. as like a kid because like the mom called it some kind of cl- I forget the name, but it's just her her book was loaded. But she was from California too, so mm-hmm. that's a just weird coincidence. Um, but I'm glad to see that you're getting all that right. Cause I'm sure that writing's got to be cathartic for you, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's when I actually I wrote the uh, I wrote the children's book. I was on the beach actually. I was in Panama Panama City earlier this year. I had um, was in in much better weather in January <laughs> than I am right now. Oh uh, yeah, but, believe um, it. I uh, I just I knew that I wanted to write it. And it was just a matter of like, okay, let's go on the beach. And then I just came back, sat in the, uh, the Airbnb that we were staying at, and I literally just wrote it. And I barely read it, to be honest with you. Like I had, I was sitting on that for at least like four months before I had even sent it to the publisher. I was just like, I was afraid to send it. And then when I sent it to him, he was like, I really like this. And so the only thing I, I've been trying to do is, is get a hold of uh, Tony Gwynn uh, Jr. because I know him through uh, Mutual because I, I think he's only like a, maybe a year or two younger than me. Mm-hmm. But I know it was kind of interesting because I went to my last 
I think, yeah, the last Twins game I went to, which was, uh, um, it was in 20, I think it was 2019, right before I left. So like June of 2019, um, they were doing like a, um, a, like a, you know, Tony, Tony Gwynn on the, on the jumbotron. So I was getting all the pictures and I sent it to him. And then like, so he saw it on Instagram and I told him, I was like, Hey, you know, this is what they're doing out here. You know, your dad's getting love, not just in San Diego, but you know, in other ballparks. And I need to get a hold of him because I want to, I might use his name in the book, his dad's name, but I don't know like how to get the the clearance for it or whatever, but I definitely want to use it and want to get it to him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and to the, the rest of the team. So how I would do it if it, I would take like a picture of like maybe a draft of the book or something, yeah. but take a picture of it, post it in your Instagram story and tag him in it and be like, Hey, I'm writing this story and I'm wanting to use Tony, Gw- some kind of thing to grab his attention. If it were me, that's how I would do it at least. Right, right. I would try yeah. that in many other ways, but I would <laughs> I would try that. But yeah, man, let me know if you ever want me to be I'm down at your show whenever and I'm glad you got to sit down and tell your story on mine. Like, you know, it's been a long time in the making with my hiatus that I went through because I had to take a break myself. So now yeah, I'm back to it's, Yeah, it's all good. I mean, this this is the the where where I want to spend most of my time. You know what I'm saying? Just being able to speak, being able to ask the questions and be able to to truly help others that, that need the help because this is this is a lifetime thing for me. This is not just something that's, you know, that's temporary. You know, like as I mentioned in my story, like I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to continue to drink, you know, continue to drink. But now that the things that have happened to me since getting sober, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything at all. You know, I know that if I was still drinking, I wouldn't have been able to do a study abroad in South Africa. I wouldn't be able to travel. You know, before the pandemic, I was going to various sporting events throughout the country. You know, if it was the Padres or the Chargers, you know, to watch them play and stuff. So it's, you know, now that things is kind of, you know, going back to pace, like I might start doing it again, going to sporting events and, you know, just do everything sober, you know, because we... So being sober is not boring. I'm gonna tell you that yeah. much. I, I I love it, and and I want to continue. As they say, we're not a glum here. lot. That's what the mm-hmm. they, one of the cliches in AA is. We're not a glum lot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We know how to have fun. I mean, you know, just taking the drink away. That's all. We're still fun people. We still want to crack yeah. jokes and have a good time. I mean, well, you're proof fun. of that. You know. So, but yeah, I'll make sure to have all your links. You know, to mm-hmm. your social medias. And all that kind of stuff will be right in the description. So whether you're watching us or whether you're listening, if you go to the description, you'll see the link to his book and the podcast and all that. Cool. Thank Anything you, else? I appreciate you. I appreciate you, man. Anything else you want to plug before I let you go? Oh, 12facesofsober.com. You can get everything from the signed book. I have new merch on there. Um, you can also see uh, photos of just um, – kind of a timeline as far as my progression as far as throughout the sobriety um i might have a few more things coming up i need to start doing like some journaling but like i said yeah 12facesober.com click merchandise for the the gear sign copy for the book and like i said you get autographed and signed copy of yours truly is that 12 is that number 12 faces number number 12 faces yeah just how you have it right there on the uh the 
the, the, the name yep. box or whatever, just .com. All right, awesome. That, I'll make sure it's definitely in there. Thanks again, bud. I appreciate your time. Thank you, go, JD. I go Padres you. and Phillies, man. I'm rooting for both of us tonight. Right, I got to see. Right. I got to see the my brother's favorite West Coast team is the Padres. So we've been talking shit because I like the Mariners. Mm-hmm. Mariners came up big last night. The Phillies came up huge last night, and the Padres came up big. So should be a fun weekend of baseball, but I'll talk for to sure. you soon, okay? All right, bro. You take care. All right, I'll see you later. I know. Bro.